0: And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Glenn Phillips, the Toad the Wet Sprocket frontman, released his latest solo album called "There Is So Much Here," his first in over six years. Glenn is in a different place than swallowed by the new in 2016. He's happier now. He's in a new relationship, and it tells by the music. As for Toad, their latest album, starting now, was released last year. It's fantastic. Go check it out. It's a good follow up to New Constellation. We discuss a bunch of Toad songs, and I also asked him about his rollercoaster relationship with their signature song, All I Want. But I started the chat with a question I can almost guarantee that no one has asked him before. Enjoy. So, Glenn, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Before um, we kind of, you know, we'll talk about the new album, Toad Music. I just have a, a real quick question. Did you perform your Haftora uh, barefoot?
1: I did not perform my Haftora barefoot.
0: Oh, okay. I was wearing, I can't remember
1: what the shoes were. I believe I had a blue uh, corduroy suit with brown patches on the sleeves. Okay. <laughs> and a wide collar, you know, it was of the time
0: yeah yeah i guess now the style is to wear sneakers you know with suits a lot of people wear that now and i only wanted to wear sneakers with my suit my my mother was like what are you crazy you're not doing that i guess i you're was just
1: a- ahead of the curve a- ahead of the curve yeah
0: yeah and uh you know oh guess a little uh piece of information i read my off torah phonetically because i could not read hebrew so I think everyone does. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. I
1: started, I never knew Hebrew well enough to do it yeah. without vowels. I mean, right. for those who never had to read Hebrew, uh, it's it's this language, you learn it and then they take all the vowels away yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, when you're doing the real thing. And so you're kind of, it's just enough that if you have learned it phonetically and you know enough, you can get through it. But yeah, I, I did the same. It's, yeah uh, i'm sure my i'm sure my hebrew teacher the whole time was like holding her holding her face in her hands with how yeah. wrong i got most of it <laughs> right yeah
0: you know like like you know like the movie greaves the song you know a beauty school dropout i was a hebrew school dropout so i got tutored yes. from my <laughs> ma- mitzvah, but yeah. yeah
1: and i also but, remember i had a really i can't even remember what the the torah portion was but it, it was one of those ones that's like You know, Saul had 57 head of cattle and lived in the Western Valley. Exactly. Sometimes he would do his Ruth with thatch and other like (laughs) it was just like one of the most boring passages in the Torah. Like, you know, it's not not one of the great like, ah, here we find a law or a gem of wisdom. It was like some of it just feels like. I don't know the daily news, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think, yeah, I think Tom's looked some sheep over there, but uh, Jim, Jim didn't want them. So yeah, Tom took him back.
0: Right. <laughs> I, that was like similar to my, my son's who had his like four years ago. And just like, he was like, this is boring. You know, I don't really care about like, you know, farming. I, I want the good one where, you know, God strikes down somebody and vengeance. I'm like, talk to the rabbi. You know, it's, you, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, were, you were born, you know, this time where you have falls out you know in October I'm sorry you know
1: (laughs) it's a weird the thing about like my upbringing because I I was so my mom married a goy so my dad was brought up Presbyterian but he was a zen meditator and he taught you know he gave me as a kid like the Dao Te Ching and and books on Sufism and took me to the zen priory for meditation Mm. courses so I got that from him and then we were in a reform temple and so my jewish upbringing was it was very ethical um but it was about ethical and a certain amount of tradition but the thing i envied in my christian friends like i remember talking to the rabbi and going like this i don't believe this i don't think this happened i i i don't get this yeah. and he's like you don't have to believe any of it you just <laughs> this is who we are and what we do but the people I know who are deeper, like there's a richness of Jewish experience that those I know who are brought up more conservative and definitely also people brought up in in the Reform uh, Temple. But there's an element of of like spiritual depth to it that like it was a very intellectual process. And I know there's a lot of Judaism that is much juicier. Uh, And I felt like, I had this spiritual yearning for that juicy part, but I wasn't finding it there in the temple. And I know a lot of people do in Judaism, but like it was not at the forefront in the era where I grew up. Um, And so I, I'm sometimes, I I keep wondering, there's a part of me that like really misses spiritual community and I found it in other places, but I also know that my heritage is Jewish and, uh, would like to find that again we have a juicier rabbi in town than we used to which is good uh but you know how do you and i think it's also easy to get you know so taken by the sparkliness of other faiths you know that like of course that's why there's so many jubus around is you can kind of (laughs) pick and choose from buddhism and make buddhism be what you wished judaism was right instead of facing the complexity of actual Judaism, or frankly, instead of facing the complexity of actual Buddhism as practiced. Uh, You know, it's, it's easy to cherry pick. So I kind of wish I had found more or had some guidance. I think even within Judaism, that was more like, oh, no, no, there's rich. There's a richness of spirituality in here. Doesn't even require belief. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons I love the rabbi in town so much is, um we were talking once and he was saying you know i he puts on his seat seat every morning and does his prayers some days he's not sure if he believes it's like you do the ritual so that you can see so that every day you get to visit it from the position that you're in it doesn't require that you are always devout or that you're always some perfect in some way or executing it perfectly it's like it's taking your temperature your spiritual temperature every morning." And that it's not even a failure if you don't believe i mean it's one of the things i love about contemporary judaism is that it is not necessarily rooted in an absolutism right um you know we're right everybody else is wrong yeah right <laughs> uh it's you know it's a practice in a container for something that's
0: unexplainable and always shifting so yeah yeah i, yeah. I must like think about it it's just like just don't be an asshole and, and just, you know, it's the and, basic and, rule. Right. And, you know, just, you know, just pretty much be nice to others and do good things. That's that's how I take out like the contemporary Judaism. And like I consider like my temple to be re-reform. So it's like yeah. one step below. So it's, you know, they're bringing in like Chinese who this name of kosher, you know, on and, yeah. and, and random things. So it's like, you know, I guess you get what you want to get out of religion.
1: Well, yeah, you get what you put in. And But it also helps to have containers, I think, especially as a kid that kind of speak to things that are vital. I mean, it's why people are stepping away from religion is if religion doesn't uh, change uh, as we do and as our world does, you know, there are certain parts that are kind of true forever. And then there's certain parts that um, have to adapt. Right. Uh, You know, the, the heliocentric universe is not really. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right yeah it doesn't yeah. really exist anymore He's we know dead. better now
0: right absolutely i just got attracted by your your dog behind you uh what's his name yes
1: uh her Roka. oh, oh okay. come here girl yeah let me take this off here. uh yeah she's yeah. a good girl oh good yeah,
0: she, <laughs> yeah she's beautiful <laughs> yeah she's a sweetie yeah um so anyway yeah yeah so the um the new album that came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. there is so much here. I absolutely love it. It's unlike, unlike the previous album, cause you were going through a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, well, this album was this pretty much born strictly out of the pandemic.
1: A lot of it was, um, I mean, it's mostly born out of a songwriting game that I've been involved in for almost, I don't know, 15 or more years. Uh, so, I've been doing this thing with Matt the Electrician, who lives in right. Austin, and there's like 20 something musicians. And every week he sends out a title, and we all write a song that uses that prompt at some point in the song. So, all the song titles are prompts from that songwriting game on the okay. uh, And I kind of realized after the fact that I had written, you know, that I was. I'd apparently turned a corner in terms of grief. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Which made me really happy. It was like, it wasn't all navel gazy. It wasn't all about, you know, uncertainty and pain. A lot of it was about falling in love again. And um, so I feel, yeah, I feel really grateful to have
0: gotten to the point where these were the songs coming out. Yeah. Uh, is it yeah? You know, is it easier? I mean, because you've been writing for decades now. And, you know, I don't want to age you or anything like that. But is it easier to write a song in a particular mood, or doesn't this does really matter?
1: I find more and more. It's harder for me to to just noodle and write and like whatever comes out feels great i i feel like i more and more have to write for a purpose now um part of the the function of the game for me is that it gives me uh it gives me an assignment where i'm responsible to other people and it (laughs) Mm -hmm. she's got her squeaky toy yeah Uh, (laughs) it and it doesn't tell me what i have to write about i get to discover through the prompt what's on my mind. And uh sometimes there's not much there and right. sometimes it's really wonderful. Uh, like, you know, the, the there's at least 10 songs or whatever on the album that came out pretty well and yeah. uh there's been a lot more over time. And so um but I like to have some idea of what I'm writing for or what I'm writing towards, you know, is this going to be solo, is this going to be for Toad? is this um do i have a concept that i've been chewing on that gives me a starting direction where i can ask some questions and uh you know some and and then whatever emerges emerges so there's a combination of kind of aiming in a direction and then also taking the part that works and uh emphasizing that uh and, and making sure that i'm i'm letting the song that wants to happen happen instead of the song that i want to happen right so um, there's a bit of that
0: as well. Yeah. Have you like had songs like on the shelf, you know, solo songs that went on a Toad album or like vice versa, or did you start like fresh each, like, you know?
1: Yeah. They're album. not exclusively different. I mean, you know, what Toad songs were at the beginning were, you know, either songs that Todd and I co-wrote, uh, you know, where he, it was his music and usually all my words uh, and, Then the other half were songs that I wrote that the band wanted to play. And I always wrote more songs than the band could do. And so, um, you know, that delineation used to be just the songs that they wanted to play because it was a rock band. Uh, And so folkier stuff didn't get played as much, but I was always writing it. Uh, The first song that I wrote, or the first album where I was writing and thinking about that difference was when we got back together for new constellation. It was the first album where, Oh, this is a toad record I'm writing for. And, And the main thing in that, and it's not on every song. Some songs were just songs I wrote that I knew could work. Most of the songs I write can write, can work in kind of any production setting. I try to write songs that you could sing by a campfire. So That means that if you can do it on a ukulele, you can do it with a band or you can do it, you know, you can do it anywhere. So um, with with New Constellation, though, I had been writing more, you know, without counter melody. So it's that thing. If I go, oh, I'm always going to have three people to sing this song. So... I don't have, and one of the signatures of Toad are these interweaving melodies, right? This this counterpoint. And so it's like, oh, cool. I can write a chorus that has that built in. Uh, I can write something that's designed to really, doesn't have to uh, rely so much on chordal movement or harmonic movement, because I know the band is just going to propel it. And so there are things you can do um rhythmically and harmonically with a rock band that can get really boring solo acoustic. Like a song like Fly from Heaven. Yeah. Is so much the same chords and so much just the same strumming. It needs it's very hard to play that song solo acoustic because it relies so much on the band's dynamics and uh t- Todd's guitar parts on it, which I can't really cop while I'm <laughs> uh strumming as well and so that's one of those songs that doesn't translate as well as i'd like to solo acoustic so it's stuff like that just right. um you know yeah but there, there's not a massive delineation between the two but it's fun to write and go like oh if i do this with toad then i can really right right you know once again just in slightly different ways but uh, it all comes from the same source. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you mentioned New Constellation because I was, I was going to bring it up later. But um, I try, you try to find a song on there that is my favorite. And it's like, they're all great. But I just want to pick out one particular rare bird. background behind that when you mentioned like campfire that's a good campfire song as well that's yeah, a good
1: campfire song except that the vocal range is like really broad it goes <laughs> very low and very high yeah. it's like the national anthem right. uh, but it's uh i mean that is um trying to think where that came out of um i mean it was kind of late in my marriage. We were going through a lot at the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was... I forget what the initial... Probably the initial inspiration for that was a little bit from um, my my friend, uh, Sean McHugh. His father was a falconer. <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit about falconry. Right. Um, but also... Now I'm confusing it with the (laughs) eye okay yeah different different metaphors in there uh but uh yeah there's that 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 part in relationship of of kind of sacrificing you know the the necessary sacrifices of the individual to make you know the the whole work but also The ways in which we can shut down preemptively without asking the other person if we need to or not or make assumptions about what they require and get small and start thinking in small ways preemptively for each other that aren't really asked for uh when you know when you really just want to free each other Mm -hmm. i mean that's you know the basis of that it's like we're um how do you simultaneously free each other and keep a framework of relationship where you're not just leaving all the time, disappearing? It's an issue in my relationship now, just like, um, you know, as the world opens up, especially like, how do you say yes to all the calls and still tend home properly and still be enough, you know? Um, And yeah, it's it's always a process.
0: Right. And I imagine like being home for say two plus years had to be a culture shock for you considering, you know, always recording and being on the road for like decades now. So like, how did you adjust? Um, In some
1: ways it was really hard. In some ways it was really easy, you know? Uh, it's uh, you know, I, I mean, I think we all went through a, a you know, uh a lot of ups and downs in that time to say yeah. the least and uh you know uh Elise and I are really we live we we make a good home together um and so that part's not difficult um but you know we were and I think I was really lucky to start doing the live streams and find purpose during that time uh I I think if I hadn't had the live streams, I would have gotten incredibly depressed, which isn't to say I didn't get depressed here and there. Um, But I figured out a way to do some good in the world and make some community. And I even ended up, you know, monetarily getting through uh, the lockdown without it. And so um, it was, yeah, kind of for me, kind of a miraculous turn of events. Uh, and it's been interesting now that things are open, you know, the, the going back to normal in, in air quotes right. uh, and then trying to figure out how much of that I want to need and and uh, how to continue to have a vibrant life at home. And also, yeah, once again, say yes, <laughs> it's because yeah. it's, uh, uh, there's so many there's a lot of invitations and I feel right. really lucky to have them. And I know you only get certain invitations so many times before people stop calling. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just trying to balance it out.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's never a good time for a pandemic, but if we had yeah. to say like 10, 15 years ago where we didn't have this technology where we can have these live streams and talk to people via zoom, like we're doing right now or FaceTime, it could have turned out a lot worse than it did.
1: Yeah, it could have. Yeah. Um, Especially if we'd had how can I say i mean there there's good and bad to write as the internet gets faster, but if we'd been right. back on dial up uh and hadn't been able to do you know something as simple as this, like a zoom call, uh we'd be, still be in front of our computers becoming zombies, yeah, uh, but we just wouldn't get to see each
0: other's faces <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, back to the new constellation for one second. One thing you guys did for the album was a Kickstarter to, to fund the album. And I'm proud to say I I, I contributed to it. And oh, thank you. Of course. And you guys like blew it out of the park, you know, um, the amount that you, you earned, like how, what was the thought process behind it and like how, um, how did that get started? And was that something you funded for the, the next album as well?
1: Yeah. We didn't do a Kickstarter on the next one. Um, the Kickstarter was it was it was a really amazing thing. We were hoping to just pay for the recording of the record, and we ended up being able to pay for the recording and the release. Um and I think we knew we probably weren't going to get a record deal. Right. Uh, and so we needed to go to the fans, and it was really amazing to see how much goodwill there was right you know, uh, you know that that it was important to people. So it uh, meant a lot to us um. I think for the last one, there's a crowdfunding is an incredibly labor-intensive process. Uh, And, uh, you know, we were setting up, um, you know, you're essentially setting up this entire business from scratch, uh, making a lot of mistakes along the way uh, and doing a lot of, I'm nerdy enough that I was doing a lot more of the back end than I would probably like to. Right. And uh, anytime you do those things too, the actual workload at the end of the day is way more than you think it's going to be. And so (laughs) um, and I've known people who've done like, you know, it's easy to do a crowdfunding thing where you actually end up losing money at the end of the day. Right. (laughs) Right. because it's like oh we need to sign these things we're getting them printed yeah. there they got shipped there then we got to ship them here to sign them and then we got to ship them back there to ship them to people right. like and by the time you've done this thing you promised to do you're losing money on everything. <laughs> like yeah. and there's there's you know some stuff comes through some stuff just ends up being so labor intensive or convoluted that if you're not really careful on your way in, you can you can really dig a hole for yourself. So um, the learning curve was incredibly steep, but uh, the experience of it and the experience of just seeing the the support and the care uh, and how many people were willing to show up and be a part of it, that was absolutely amazing. Uh, but starting now, we made we made different mistakes for starting. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of funny how like you're basically you're the band, you're the record company, you're the promotion, you do everything. And it gives you maybe a better appreciation for like, I guess, the record company, you know, like when you were with Columbia and like how they did. Everything, oh, yeah. Right? yeah. There's
1: so many jobs that uh, got done and got done, uh, competently back in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, you definitely realize how much goes into it and how many little invisible things add up, uh, to, to make things work. I mean, I am on a label again for this record and it's been really wonderful to have a team and have people who are on my side and I know we're taking care of stuff. And, um, you know, it's been, a great experience. And it's also certainly not like being a ma- on a major label in the nineties. I mean, right. you know, Columbia could move mountains, and you know, we'd go on the road and every town we'd show up, there'd be, you know, because there used to be retail, yeah. there's still a tiny bit of retail, but uh, you know, we'd have a record company or, or like mm. a record store representative, a radio representative, and usually also a college rep. So we go to the college station, we'd right. go to one sometimes as many as three radio stations in a day, we do an in-store performance and then we go play our show. Like they worked us ragged. Right. Um, But they had this amazing network of local and regional representatives. And those guys were incredible. And just the, the boots on the ground part of it, um, it was remarkable. And, you know, now I'm at a good, they're lean and mean indie, And Mm -hmm. it's so great to have a group of people who aren't, You know who did this last week, so it's not like oh, radio promo. Do I know anybody there? Like, do do like, do we hire somebody? Who do we hire? Who's worth it? (laughs) Like, uh, you know, and even you know, social media. It's like playlist. I don't know what I don't know what any of it means anymore, or what was relevant. The last article I read or record I put out isn't relevant anymore, and so having people who are calm and up to date with it makes a huge difference and i mean i think toad's internal team is also really good but i I feel you know once again we did we we made a few mistakes on starting now we signed up with a label for half a minute and then realized that it was not the right map like we realized we'd gotten in a situation we didn't want to be in we pulled out but there were things like they hadn't removed they hadn't completely scrubbed they'd done like placeholder tags on all the the digital distribution things so when we released starting now uh people would look it up and it would say this album is being updated please come back at a later date like we didn't make any playlists we didn't like we (laughs) biffed like so many basic things out of the gate and some of it was not necessarily our fault but we just like we we were we were that guy it's like the the runner ready at the gate and like trips over your shoelace two steps yeah and it's hard to catch up again so um
0: yeah yeah Yeah. but like financially what are your expectations well i guess you know first for the toad album starting now and then you know your your recent solo album like because no one buys albums anymore so like, well, like, no, what?
1: no one buys albums. Yeah. Uh, having uh, having a record out is, it's about having new songs to play. I'm right. still a songwriter. Yeah. I love playing new material. I don't feel done and I don't feel, you know, it's difficult. And I used to resent the fact that um, my new songs were competing with memories that people had in their early twenties and late teens because there's no way You know, even a sad song, you play it back. And if you heard it at the right time at that age, you just go, man, like, ah, that was like, it." it, it's this. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because, uh, you know, human memory is so um, negatively inclined. We have to work much harder to remember good memories. Right. That's why we I think it's a big reason for, you know, religion, gratitude practices, psychology. Like the reason people do this is we remember bad things much more easily. They they pop up in our heads without any effort. Good things we have to really orient ourselves towards. And music is this way of kind of shortcutting to positive memory. Um, and so, and that even when it shortcuts to, to hard memories, you know, the song you were hearing during a breakup, it's like, you go, oh man, that yeah. was like, you look at it in that warm way right? That hurts so much, but oh man, it was so, I was so alive. (laughs) It was so, um, and so it's hard to compete with that, but I I used to resent the difference. Now I feel like, okay, that's this easy, low hanging fruit, this drug that we can kind of (laughs) administer to people. But I, feel like our last few albums are at least as good as anything we wrote back in the day. Like, I, I don't feel done as a writer. I still feel there's a lot to say. And, um, and so it gives me a ton of pleasure to, to go write and play new material. So, I mean, for new albums, number one, it's that is I'm not dead yet. And (laughs) if I'm just a, uh, if I'm just like you know a nostalgia artist then i i have no interest in being an entertainer in that way it's not interesting it's not vital uh and so uh i need to make keep making music that moves people and even if it moves fewer people uh i'm okay with that so number one there's that And the new albums too. It's like songs like the moment, the moment has meant so much to people. Right. Uh, And transient whales on the new record or hold on, like, you know, we get a lot of email about how much those songs mean to people. So, um, you know, as long as that keeps going, there's a reason to keep writing. Uh, And uh, you know, there is, you know, there's the pennies trickle in from streaming uh, hopefully someday uh, we'll get a good placement in film and TV with new material. Right. Uh, it gives us, it puts a little air back in the tires. It's like, you no longer think that a new album is going to change your life or, you know, I would love it if we had like our harvest moment, you know, right. <laughs> Neil right. Young. Right. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, ah, I had been Neil Young. There'd been this 20 years, like everybody got yeah. used. And then he did this and record. That he was yeah. relevant again. Um, I mean, I would love that to happen of course but uh without you know unless there's like some director who goes you know what I'm gonna place every song on the new (laughs) toad record in my new movie I'm gonna goodwill hunting that right (laughs) uh in lieu of that you kind of just make music because you have to like I have to it's what I do I make art and uh this is the way I express myself and so I keep doing it and uh our fan base i think lucky for us most of the people who've stuck with us aren't just there for the singles that there are people who were um who found some kinship with us and they grew up together and back when we were awkward nerdy 20 somethings (laughs) they were also awkward nerdy 20 somethings and you know, I, I think we were willing to do music that was kind of vulnerable at a time when vulnerability was really scorned, uh, when you had to be edgy. Right. And uh, we weren't. And, uh, and the people who that appealed to, I think, we're still vulnerable, we're still, you know, I don't think we're treading the same water over and over, but we're still willing to be that. But We're talking about the things that are happening at this age, about empty nests and about getting older and about, you know, the some of the concerns are the same. But, you know, it's it's uh, so I think the audience grows with us. Um, So, yeah, monetarily, an album, you hope that an album at least pays for itself Uh, and uh, it does a little better than that. But um, really, it's about, you know, live shows. And I think long term, I need to figure out a way to control my touring days uh, and figure out ways of earning when I'm at home and feeling useful uh, when I'm at home in ways that I can come and go with. So that's that's where my effort goes. That's kind of what I think about. And um, so... know it's it's always a process yeah and and, you know i i I know i have at least another 10 years of touring but uh a lot can happen in 10 years and uh you know i i'm glad i haven't had to have a side gig but i I could also use to start developing a side gig (laughs) (laughs) right
0: yeah when you first started like touring solely how like difficult was it to like a form a playlist knowing that it's going to have like majority of all toad fans come. So you did do like 70 percent of Toad songs and a couple from your soul. How, how did you kind of balance? A lot
1: that? of people yeah I mean I would do both. I had years where I resented Toad and sometimes I wouldn't play right. the singles or you know there was that whole 90 thing of the 90s yeah. thing of bands hating their singles. Right. Which is so lame. Uh, or if somebody said they loved toad what i would hear them saying was i hate your solo stuff you're not a good writer okay uh and so i had to get over that right uh you know it's a hard thing to compete with uh and so uh it's i had to make my own criteria uh for you know how i would get validated yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um and not take it personally that people love toad i realize that's why they're there i probably sent a lot of people home uh i know when i first started going out i was also there was a period where i was insanely depressed i couldn't get a record deal um you know at by age 30 i had three kids i couldn't get signed right uh I'd had this huge success and then I was unsignable and I like, I, I couldn't understand why my life had gone the way it did. And I had people come up to me after shows and basically say like, you clearly don't want to be here. It's a waste of my money. It's a waste oh. of your time. Uh, and there were periods where I was out working where I, I, I should have been. Uh, I should have been in like a sanatorium. I should not have been <laughs> right. on the street. Uh, and so I did a lot of damage, uh, through depression, through negativity, through being bitter and feeling like a victim. And I drove a lot of people away. Uh, and so, um, you know, the last few years, I feel like I've gotten that self-sabotage a little more under control. Uh, and my audience has been growing. What do you know? Right. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I, how can I say I can't you know, and I like to be frank in talking about depression and the cost of it, uh, and in, um, you know, not, not trying to color myself as a victim with that, but I think a lot of people go, I can't blame myself for, uh, you know, going through what I went through, like it's in the past, it exists. Um, but it definitely had a lot of repercussions and, I think in the broader story, you know, to be able to talk about how deeply depression and self-loathing can, can take you, uh, away from kind of the wonderful things in life. I, I know a lot of that firsthand, but I also know, uh, that it's not a done deal. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like life keeps giving second and third and fourth chances. And, uh, you know, that, um, I'm, Incredibly grateful for that because uh, I apparently need a lot of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So. And I'm sure like a ton of people after a show or even like social media or whatever will come to you and saying, This song, you know, meant so much to me. Did you have that with a particular artist or song?
1: I've had that with a ton of particular artists and songs. I mean, Randy Newman, Joni Mitchell, uh, the replacements. I mean, you know, it's like there's no end to it. Peter Gabriel. Right. Yeah. So many songs have meant so much to me in so many different ways. I think the only story that and maybe it's easier for people to tell that story. The only story that I kind of have to grit my teeth through is when people talk about. Basically, the story is I saw you play 30 years ago and it was a good show. Okay, and it meant a lot to me right but it tends to get told in like a 10 minute like my brother came down from cleveland and right, he yeah. hadn't seen you but but like tend to be a whole lot of details and backstory yeah and i really try to be present for those <laughs> right uh i like i try to stay present and listen to it but the the shorthand of it is always like you know what it meant a lot to me and to my brother and our relationship when we got to see you play 30 years ago and just yeah I love that memory right there's a way to say it that's really quick it yeah, doesn't exactly. take 10 minutes
0: yeah you want the cliff notes version and there you go you know it's
1: it, but uh but now I'm being a dick uh but no. <laughs> um it, it's it's interesting I hadn't brought like merchandise when I was getting divorced I started Toad used to hang out and talk for like two hours we would right. stay till the last person yeah. and I started having panic attacks Uh, during my I couldn't do it anymore. It was like I something in my personal sensitivity got just like opened up and I think is still a little widely opened to the point where I couldn't. I couldn't take it all in like it would I would go and I would have panic attacks. and So uh, we started doing this VIP thing before the show, which I had been vehemently opposed to and still we started doing it and yeah. but on the last solo tour i've been going out and selling merch and the, i never brought merch and it's just it's so strange to mm-hmm. you play and you're kind of exhausted and then really being present for everybody after is a whole right. other art and it it's it and it's interesting to try to be be really honestly present but also hold boundaries uh, in those situations. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the trippier things about this job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard like one particular, like, you know, someone brought up a song to you and just the background of it, the meaning of it was completely different than what you intended it to be. And you just kind of had a bite your tongue thing.
1: Oh, all the time. (laughs) I mean, I, what I love that my favorite one is that, I was on tour and within a week I had two people come up and talk about the Dulcinea record okay. and one of them that song was all about like a crisis of faith and then finding renewed uh, like basically uh, like a, a C.S. Lewis story of like Christian loss of faith yeah. and regaining of faith and it was very very much that And then the next week, somebody came and they'd never read a bio, but that record for them was about coming out of the closet and about the process of self-discovery and saying who you were and being unafraid. And and I loved that those people, like both of them out Mm -hmm. of that album, that for one... You know, for one, it was all about the Christian faith and the trials of remaining faithful. The other, it was about coming out of the closet and loving yourself and being, it was like, yes, this is exactly what art should do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't think there's a wrong way to get it unless you're reading in something hateful or, uh, you know, violent or or um, bigoted in it. Yeah uh and you know the that the you know yeah i don't think there's really a wrong way to to have it like so often the story is totally different and i actually try to write the way i describe it is i try to write um with emotional truth and specificity um but with with situational vagueness so that there's enough in it that because i know i'm gonna feel a certain way again but i know the story is going to be different so if i if i can nail that part then when i come back around to that feeling i'll still be able to be inside that song and it won't be something that happened way back when it won't be entirely narrative and locked in
0: um and that happens all the time Uh, uh you know so yeah and plus when the song is out there technically it's not your song anymore i mean it, it always will be your song but it's like the public song so they yeah kind of grasp at, at it how they how they want it to be yeah. it to be so
1: and it's it's why more recent songs i mean um you know the grief and praise from my last solo album right. is probably the song i'm the most proud of just because of the number of people who like you know of Used it like talking to therapists who use it in therapy with clients, right. talking to hospice people who play it for mm-hmm. the dying, talking to people who want it played at their funerals, playing it at people's funerals. Funeral, like yeah. that to me is like, uh, that's that's the kind of validation I want for the work I do,
2: boys, sisters, and circles. Children of mine, you humble my heart, I sharpen my mind. Though we're scattered and weary, changes pause we are bound till the end. Still a family, I promise. From all that you love will be taken someday. Sing loud while you're able In grief and in praise For so many years We swam into the tide And we would not abandon Heroic and kind Shared our sweat and our shoes you
1: be great to play arenas and earn millions of dollars but in in lieu of that i am incredibly grateful that you know it's the same of any song with um toad it's i'd say not the biggest hits it's it's i will not take these things for granted because that's the one you know that we get a picture of you know a, a cancer camp for kids and that's the lyric that's painted on the shed, and that's you know, that's like <laughs> right. Um, the one that people play at their weddings or at their field, like, that's the stuff that really matters.
2: One part of me just wants to tell you. Dancing, I'm listening. Music in the bedroom, laughter in the hall. Dial-
1: getting under people's skin in that way for the really important shared moments uh you know way better than entertaining right. I, I i like entertainment it's fine but i'd yeah. rather like i'd rather
0: uh get paid in tears okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's funny you mentioned both of those i was gonna bring out a couple of songs to you and two of those were, were on my list so i'll cross those off because you talked about them beautifully uh I'm going to go back a little ways and ask you about Unquiet from Bread and Circus. absolutely love that album and that song in particular.
1: Yeah. Uh, unquiet. I can't remember. I think that was one of mine. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. Okay. Kind (laughs) of like the way the melody hangs on the chords. It's like I was doing, it was, there was some fun chromatic stuff in there. Um, and the lyric is the lyric. I don't know. I was 16 when I wrote it. So I can't, uh, can't really remember what was in there oh that hmm. feels like a Todd no I think
2: a,
0: anyway uh, <laughs> right okay
1: it's I can't remember I was a child <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. can you relate to I mean I can't remember but can you like relate to those songs that you like wrote like over you know three decades ago
1: yeah I mean I pull that out it's like right that that you know the basis of that song I mean it is what it is I can't remember the position I was in but Uh it's you know um, it's that way of being stuck right Uh it's about being stuck it's about saying you know I want to create but I'm not going to risk having my voice heard i want to move out of this position but i don't feel like i have enough strength to actually lift a muscle i want something or someone else to do it for me right okay and and it's about the uncomfortability of yeah feeling like you don't have the 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 capacity to change the things in your life that you probably can change you know yeah yeah so insecurity generally and and the problem about insecurity is it tends to create exactly the situation that it fears um and so and i don't believe in like you know the secret and if you think positively then the world is your bitch and it'll give you exactly what you want (laughs) right but i do believe that and increasingly i've done a long experiment with negativity and and let me tell you uh a little bit of positivity goes a long way and has a ripple effect. Right. And at least lets you feel like, well, damn it, at least I tried it instead of telling myself that I couldn't. Yeah. And, and trying it may not get you where you'd hoped or dreamed of going. It almost never will, but it'll get you somewhere different than stuck. Right. And, and that's important. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been putting out records that sold last less than the last record generally for right. 20 years now yeah. I've been. And if I go by the regular metrics, it's easy for me to go like, well, it's I'm a failure. I'm a, yeah. Clearly I'm a failure. Clearly I'm done. Clearly this isn't worth it. So um, I need to change my criteria. I need to look at things differently more like, do I love these songs? Do I love playing them? Right. Do I love making music. Do I feel more now than I did 20 years ago that this is a spiritual enterprise and a useful enterprise and not just a spiritual enterprise for me, but that if I go into it with a whole heart, am I actually doing something good in the world and not just something narcissistic? And I'm getting a yes for that. And it's making me feel like what I'm doing is actually useful in the world. And so... Uh, and makes me feel once again, I'm not having hits, but I don't give a damn. Uh, it was never what I cared about. And I have friends who've known me for 30 years who are like, yeah, being, you know, having that mainstream success was a really difficult thing for me to endure. And I didn't trust it when I was in it and it felt odd and not like who I was. Uh, even the head of Sony couldn't understand that I didn't want to be a star Right. Or that I was conflicted around that idea. There was nobody else he'd signed on the label who felt that way. Hmm. And so uh, it's good for me to go like, instead of seeing what I, but you're supposed to want these things, right? You're right. supposed yeah. to want to be the biggest and you're yeah. never supposed to stop wanting to be bigger. And that's not what I am, even though I grew up in this world that kept telling me that. So I need to go to like, what do I do now? What do I care about? I, and you know, that songs, once again, like The Moment or Transient Whales or Grief and Praise, it's like, if I'm still making music that, uh, if I'm making music that's getting used in therapy, if I'm making music that's getting played at funerals still, uh, I'm doing it right. And right. Uh, it, and the market is the market. And I was never good at the market. And it's kind of surprising that even with all my self-sabotage that Toad ever did as well as it did. Right. Right because i was always undercutting it hmm. and you know and, and yeah. so uh and not in a creative or artistic way i just think uh you know the of all the societies we could have chosen to create this one is at its core has a cruelty that is uh that always kind of weighs on me huh. and uh you know that I can play the capitalist game, right. uh, but I don't think that we are consumers. Hmm. I think we're human beings, right? And uh, and I think human beings are spiritual creatures. And I just and we keep just getting asked to be consumers, and hmm. it's pathetic. Uh, and you know, so to be become a product and to kind of have that idea that you know music, like all true medicines, gets turned into a drug once it gets commodified. Uh, and it's not to say drugs can't be beneficial, right? <laughs> but uh, but I think it's I've always chafed against that, or against celebrity culture, uh, or against just the the concepts of you know fame. And I've met famous people who are that way because they're really great at what they do and they are positive and they are brilliant and they radiate a kind of joy that is infectious. And I'm all down with that. Um, But there's also people who just, man, they just manipulate media and piss people off and play at the console of human emotions without really wanting to do anything other than feed their own narcissism. And that, that disgusts me, so- Uh, I mean, and we all are in some, you know, matrix of internal and external validations, right? Meaning do I wake up and have a relationship with myself where I can look myself in the eye, be proud of who I am, feel that I'm actually doing something good for others in the world, that I'm useful, you know, that I am utilitarian in bringing more love into the world. Uh, And then you also got to look, there's the external, because sometimes the external brings you back when you're in delusion (laughs) and you got a friend who knocks you on the head and goes, Hey, wake up. Right. (laughs) Come back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think people think that being on a stage or being seen or being adored in public ways heals something in you and it doesn't at all. And, uh, you know, or that it fills that hole. And uh, there are, um, you know, thousand and one caution tales of how it doesn't change a thing. Uh, you know, and so, you know, doing that work and the balance of good external input and uh, good internal stories. Uh, and I still fight like a mother every day with those. So, right. you know, Anthony Bourdain was like a hero to me. Okay. I don't say of any... Any celebrity uh, suicide, his was the one that hit me the hardest yeah. because I felt like in the middle of his life, he had found something that did incredible good for people and gave a voice to people that, you know, people in the West would otherwise mostly ignore. And to humanize the world and to bring people together through food and talk about the right. hardships that other people go through. It's just such brilliant work right and to do it with such a sense of humor and reverence for the human experience and then to realize that no matter how much good you do in the world uh no matter how much adulation or public like it's like if you don't do the internal story if you don't work on that it will bite you in the ass it won't go away right and it's it's daily it's daily work uh and so Working on it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You know, what's your relationship with uh All I Want?
2: Nothing sold out. Searing when we lie. Truth is not kind. And you said lie.
1: It's a good song. I mean, I, I've gotten over resenting it. I think I resented all I want for a long time because I felt trapped by it and trapped by my past with it. Uh, And like I said earlier, I've realized that hearing a song like that at a certain age, it's a positive song. It's one of the few positive to, you know, we have a lot of like right. and sadness and it's, it's a song and it, it does contain also complexity it's like joy in the face of sorrow joy in the face of self-doubt and um it's got a great bridge (laughs) it's got you know I love the harmonies on it I love Todd's guitar parts I love the way he picks up the melody in the solo like I love the baseline like I love I love that song and The times that I allowed it to hurt me were just times where I was comparing where I was and feeling like a failure and feeling like I'd peaked at 21, and that's an awful thought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I realized it had absolutely nothing to do with me or the songs I'm writing now or any of it. It has to do with a roll of the dice and the right song at the right time. I'm so grateful because it's given me an amazing life. It's allowed me to keep making music. It's um, let me meet so many wonderful people. It's opened so many doors, Uh, but you know, we need to get over ourselves. Uh, And you know uh,
0: it took some doing. Okay. I got three more songs. I'll try to make it quick. Um, Okay. Yeah. um, I, every time I listen to this album, I always think it's your best album and probably wasn't meant to be in light syrup. Are we afraid?
1: Yeah, that was my attempt at a talk talk song. Okay. I was trying to do like something off the color of spring, You right. piano. Yeah. Well, it's all black keys. It's like I wrote it on the piano. <laughs> you know, it's like I can't play <laughs> the
0: piano, but I faked it for that. Right. I, I always say that all I want is your Howard Jones song.
1: A little bit, yeah. For, for we would always poppy in a sad way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> poppy and poppy pop psychology. That's yeah. that's, that's my wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And I always say videos like can enhance a great song, like, you know, take on me like, aha, that song is great. The video, I think, brought it to another stratosphere. I feel something always wrong. I absolutely love that video. Great song but you know the the video was great now did you have a hand in like create you know
1: that was the one video that we were really involved in uh dean actually said we should sell ourselves on qvc (laughs) and then i was like oh we should sell intangibles we should sell like unconditional love and things you can't buy and uh and the band we could like we it was so fun to work out everything that was in the text on that the problem was we did too good a job and mtv didn't want to play it because they thought it looked they thought people would turn the channel thinking they were on qvc (laughs) so So we made like one awesome video right that by by its own very nature was unplayable yeah
0: (laughs) right (laughs) that's 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 our story (laughs) yeah and then i'll ask you the last one here it's definitely a campfire song Uh, walk on the ocean
2: we spotted the ocean So far away. Somebody told me this is the place where everything's better. Everything.
1: A walk on the Ocean was Todd's music. Uh, I had just been up to uh, Doe Bay on Orca's Island in the San Juans, which is near uh, Washington state. And, you know, been hanging out in a hot tub, some springs with a bunch of hippies. It was great. Mm-hmm. And, we recorded a demo. We had no words. And Todd was like, just do some, write something down, write a real lyric later. Right. And so I was like, okay. Yeah. It took like 10 minutes, wrote that down. I have no idea what any of it means. Yeah. Uh, it was inspired by that, but it was just kind of tossed it out. And then I kept trying to rewrite it and nothing was as good. Okay. So it just stuck. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah okay yeah it's it's still it's all a great song but uh i appreciate your time so much today glenn uh there is so much more here get it it's a fantastic album i appreciate your time
1: great thank you it was great to talk
0: to you and a special thanks to glenn for joining me today you can check out his website glennphillips.com as for toad you can check them out on twitter at Toad the Wet Sprocket. Their website is toadthewetsprocket.com and if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first 19 or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast. Look for new episodes coming soon. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.